0: Guys, grab a Bible and make your way this morning to the book of 1 John. Sunday mornings, that's where we are. We have been working verse by verse through the book of 1 John. We are picking up where we left off last week, longing that God would take his word and make it alive and just impacting into us this morning. So hopefully you got a Bible, you're making your way there. If you didn't bring one, there are Bibles in front of you and the chairs in front of you, page number on the screen so you can more rapidly move that way. You can use an electronic device, but one way or another, please be present with us and be in the word of God. Make it to be a space that today that you would look to him to open up his word to make impact into you. And we believe in his capable faithfulness to do that. We're going to invite you if you're on the overflow or online to make sure that you do the same thing, that you fully just be present and that there would be space this morning that you would be hearing and listening and that God would open up his word to you in a way that would touch your life right where you need it to. And God is capable of doing that. We so long for that, and so let's take a moment and ask him for that. I'm going to lead in prayer, but as we do each week, I'm hoping you're asking that you would be asking for God to speak to you this morning in a way that would cause you to hear what he has for you. So would you join me in that right now? Let's ask him for that. Father, I think of just the words of Samuel as that young boy that, instructed by Eli, was just enter into your presence and say, speak, Lord your servants listening. Lord, you were speaking, but by saying so, he was giving you his attention. God, you're a God who is speaking, that I'm sure of. You're a faithful God. You don't ever fail. I thank you for your word that is alive. I thank you that you are working through it, that all things that that we need are found here. I thank you that it's a living thing and that you're working But God, would you meet us right now that we really would be like that young boy Samuel and say, Lord, here I am. I I, want to listen. I want to hear you. I want to hear what you want me to hear. Lord, that you would open up by the power of your spirit, through the the effectiveness of your word, that, Lord, we'd understand the passage that's in front of us, but more than that, God, what you wanted to hear of us to hear from you this morning that you would give us ears to hear what your Spirit's speaking, that we, in this moment, together and yet individually, hearing you, would you just caused us to do that this morning, to hear what you have for us. God, by your power, would you cause that? We ask for it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sometimes the most beautiful things are hidden right in plain sight. Sometimes things that are just absolutely amazing and and, and just faithful and gorgeous to look at, sometimes we can miss them. You know what I mean by this, right? Think about it this way. I don't know if it's been that way where you've been making your way through that near one of the end of the days and then all of a sudden you just happen to turn westward and you go and you see one of those incredible just New Mexico sunsets just just spreading out all across the sky and you're like, man, it was right there. It was right there. I wasn't even paying attention. I mean, I'm just so glad that somehow something grabbed my attention to cause me to see this incredible beauty that was right in front of me. Sometimes you almost need somebody to catch your attention. You need somebody to say, hey, 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 look over here because this is something you need to see. That's exactly what John wants to do to us this morning. You kind of join me there in John chapter 3. It begins this way where it just invites us to behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Pause there, go back to the first word, behold. That's the invitation. It's this idea like, look at this. I mean, don't miss this. Don't run past this. That you and I are being invited in to see something that's right in front of us, but if we're not careful, if we're not intentional, we're going to miss it. And so he gives us this word that tries to arrest your attention right at the outset and says, you need to see this. You need to look on this. What? Well, he told us, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. That's what we need to think about this morning. We need to talk a little bit that he's inviting you and I to see this incredible reality that Christians, that we are children of God. Now, here's again the danger is that you could very easily miss this. I mean, it's right in front of us. I want to tell you it's more beautiful and it's more amazing than we might have anticipated, but it's right there, and we might miss this. And so I'm inviting you to see it. What might cause you to miss this? Well, there are a number of things that could keep us from really understanding how beautiful this is, how amazing this is. There's probably more, but I'll give you a couple of them. One is that maybe you might miss how unique this is. You might miss how special this is. Because hear me as clear as I can say it, everyone on our planet is not a child of God. Not every person on our planet is a child of God. Now, maybe you're aware of this, but I want you to make sure you get it because you will hear it said otherwise. You'll see memes, you'll hear statements, and people say, aren't we all God's children? You know, we're just all children of God, and I'm gonna say it as clear as I can. Absolutely not. We are God's creation. We are God's design, and please don't misunderstand me. God loves you. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, he loves you. He gave his son to bring you into this relationship. But right now, outside of his son, you are not a child of God. You're his creation, but you're not his child. Know that you, you need to understand that because only Christians have been given this space where we get to be called children of God. It is uniquely ours. It is uniquely what belongs to us. Now, I like this, and sense, laying it here, but I find myself thinking of a passage in the Gospel of John when he's kind of giving us this announcement of the birth of Christ or the, the, the very divinity of Christ in many ways, just entering into our world. And he says it to us this way in John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. He says, But as many as received him, speaking of Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Wow. So he's talking about being children of God. I mean, he's saying the same thing. He's saying, hey, this is who who this becomes. This is what this is and, and where it goes. Who are that? And again, he just tells us, as many as received him. Only those who received him, those who believe on his name, those who believe on Christ, those who who believe upon Him, they are this. They've been given, we've been given the right to be called the children of God. I just need you to hear this, because again, that's the only way it's right. It's wrong. Otherwise, in the most simple way, it's not a right that anybody else can claim. It's not a privilege that belongs to anybody else. It's not a, a space that is anybody else's. Only those who believe, upon Christ, have been given this right, have been given this honor, given this space to be children of God. But understand this, it's more than just a title. It's more than just a title. He says, we've become. That if you've believed upon Jesus, you have become. And that's a pretty big word. It's a a statement of reality. It's a statement of belonging. It's a statement of that's who we are. That because of Jesus, we've now become something that we were not before. We, we were not children of God before, but now if you've believed on him, you have become a child of God. You have become his child because we've been born. Or we would say later from John's gospel, we've been born again. We've been brought into this relationship. And he just says it very clearly. This is not by blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. Lots of stuff in there, but hear it clearly. Nobody becomes a child of God by birth, Nobody, in the sense of a natural birth, not just because your parents are Christians, not just because you know, you're, lineage, you're American or any of those things, nobody becomes a child of God because of the church that you're brought up in. It has to be personal. Nobody becomes a child of God just because you tried really hard. That's, you, can't, you can't do this. It's not the, the, the will of the flesh. This isn't something that you could, yeah, well, I worked really hard at it. I worked really, really hard, and I became. I mean, like, I finally earned it. You didn't. And it's not the, the, the will of man. It's not that in any sense that we could accomplish that or in this sense, maybe even that we could accomplish it for anybody else. Again, your, your spouse can't do this for you. Your friends can't do this for you. I can't do this for you. It has to be God. It is a divine, supernatural, born again experience that happens for everybody who believes upon Jesus. For everybody who does this, we've been brought into this incredible reality that we're children of God. That we are, we are God's children. That we've been brought into his family. And that's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. So hear it again. Not everybody is. Not everybody is. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not. We don't say that to be cruel. We say that to be clear and to invite you into it. But as we look out at our world, that's not what we live among. We don't live among people that are God's children. We live among people, again, in his creation that people he made, but they're not his children, only Christians are. So we might miss this because we just didn't realize how unique it is, that in one sense, the very language that we live in and sometimes the way that people say this uh, have caused us not to see how unique, how special this is. But other times we just might miss the wonder. The danger is because, especially for some of you, you've grown up in church or you've grown up in this community and you've heard it so many times, You know, I mean, in one sense, you, you know, we we call each other brother and sister. We talk about being God's children. And in one sense, you might really miss how incredible this is. You might really miss how, how, how just amazing this is, that God has saved us and done more than we could have imagined he has brought us into his family. Let's just be clear. He didn't have to. I mean, he didn't have to do any of this, right? But he didn't have to make us his family to save us. He could have saved us. He could have saved us. He could have died on the cross for us and and caused us just to be servants, caused us just to be part of a heavenly community uh, that would have been there without adopting us into his family, without making us his children. He didn't have to do this. I know that's probably clear, but he did this more than we could have ever imagined, brought us into a relationship that surpasses anything else, more than Adam and Eve had Adam and Eve were never called children of God. It's only those who come into a relationship with God through Jesus. It's only by believing in him we have this, and it's amazing. It's an amazing thing that is more than we can imagine. We'll certainly talk about that a little bit this morning that he's gonna tell us, like, you have not, you, you've not even begun to see how good this is. Like, you have not even begun to see what it is to be a child of God. It is more. But I wanna come back and just say something I said a moment ago and say it again. It's real. It is 100% real. This isn't something that's just a title. This isn't something that is just, you know, speaking kind of plastic realities. If you're a believer in Christ, it's real that he has told us, as many as received them, he gave the right to become children of God. Like all of us, as many, like all of us who've done that, we've now become something. Not just given a title, we've become something we weren't. And it's better than that. So not only has God made it real, not only is it true, but He's working it inside of you that is in a way that's seeking to create that authenticity even more. Think about how Paul would say it in the book of Romans. He says, for as many that are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, or these are the children of God, that we, we have the work of the Spirit. and We've talked about this a few times over the last couple of weeks, that if anybody doesn't have the Spirit of God, you're not His, he'll say in this section. But if you have the spirit of God living inside of you, he says, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. He says, when when God did this work inside of you, when he saved you, when he poured out his spirit inside of you, he's doing something in you that is this spirit of adoption, this spirit of connecting us into his family, that because of that, we get to say, Abba, Father. Now, you may be aware of this, but this is a pretty incredible thing, probably more than we can even imagine. That we would call God Father is, again, huge. But Abba, it's, it's more intimate than that. Abba would probably, again, just, just loosely, maybe the best you know, kind of English translation of that would be Daddy. It would be Papa. It would be this kind of thing that if you ever go with us to Israel and you're walking around, you'll hear kids just running around calling their dad. Abba, Abba, you know, just like you know, it's this place of of tender affection, of of just this incredible reality of being drawn into a relationship with God that we know him as our Abba, that we know him as our father. But hear me again. This isn't something that's just a title, this is a reality. In fact, I like the way Paul would say it again in the book of Galatians. He says, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So the reality is something that not only have you become this, but God himself is empowering this that he's working this inside of you, that he's doing it so that this relationship of knowing God as your father is something that the spirit of God inside of you is seeking to breathe into you so that he is crying out inside your hearts for this. Now, I like this. Here's, here's where this can meet us in a very practical way. For some of you, you kind of, you're, you're kind of tracking already. You're like, man, I love, I, I, I wanna walk in that. Others of you are sitting there and going, I just feel so far from that my world is so broken. What I've gone through is is so damaged that maybe that's not possible for me. I mean, if somehow I have to be able to know this, then maybe maybe it's not going to work for me to be able to have that kind of relationship with God. But the Spirit of God inside of you is breathing this he is speaking this, that God has drawn you into this relationship where he himself is empowering this. And this is really good news. This is really good news. And that which we should even be leaning into like, okay, well then if this is possible, if I can know this type of relationship with God, and if the spirit of God is the power of that, then I should be like, okay, let's do that. But it's real. It is incredibly real. It's incredibly good that he would draw us into this incredible reality that is altogether harsh and is more beautiful than you can imagine. So again, I invite you to begin to think about this with me this morning as we're thinking about this reality that is really centered around this understanding that you and I are children of God. If you're a believer, if you've believed upon Jesus, then this is who we are. So how do we even approach that? Well, he gives us a few things that we need to think about, and we've already noticed the first one, but notice it with me again. There it begins in verse one. Behold, what manner of love that the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. So, the first thing that's supposed to capture your attention, the first thing that, you know, now that you're thinking about this reality that we're God's children, that if if you can see the beauty that's right in front of you, is here's the deal. We're going to see the absolute incredible love of God. He says, I want you to behold this. What manner of love this is. What crazy, overwhelming, amazing love this is that this is working into our lives. Now, I want you to make sure you get this, because if you see this well, that's what you'll see. I want to say this carefully. I didn't want to say it in any kind of accusatory or kind of setting up any kind of straw man and knocking it down that sometimes can happen in places like this. But I just want to say it this way, that when we think about being children of God, we're not talking about our greatness. We're not talking about how great we are. We're talking about how great God is. See, here's what happens. And again, I think it's a part of our culture right now. I think it's part of the kind of the the lukewarm theology that kind of works through our way in our world that sometimes, you know, I'll hear songs or I'll see memes that kind of talk about this reality, but it almost sounds like we're boasting. It almost like, I'm a child of God. You know, that's what I am. I mean, don't you know who I am? Don't you see how amazing I am? I mean, I'm powerful, I'm mighty. And I just want to tell you, that's not the point. He says, if you get this, you're going to look at this and go, that's, a, that, that's God's love. I mean, he has loved me who is unlovable. I'm a sinner. I mean, that he loved us when there wasn't anything good about us. When we were enemies of the cross, when we were enemies of God. God looked upon us and said, not only would he save us, but he'd bring us in. And there isn't a sense that we go and go, well, we're so amazing. Aren't we so wonderful? Aren't we so great? No, you would see this and you should say, what a great God. I mean, what an incredible God that we would look about this and, and, and we'd say, okay, this is all about our God's greatness. This is about it. If you can understand this and see it a little bit, what you will see is the greatness of our God, the greatness of His love for us. And again, I know you already heard it, but I just want to make sure that you're seeing it because that's exactly what John told us. Notice it again. He says, Behold, like look at this. What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. I mean, you and me. I mean if you're I mean what amazing love that you and I get to be called this. Wow. Found myself thinking about this in um one of the prayers that I you know, just enjoy reading, it's great to read through the New Testament and read the different prayers that are given there and many times become fuels for our prayers. I, I was, found myself thinking about the one that Paul prays in Ephesians 3, which is just a good model for us. Let me just read most of it there with you and then we'll highlight the section that we want to see right now. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. It's like, I just want you to know that strength. I long that God would meet you in that, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. So pause, catch it here. So I just want you to know Jesus. I'm praying for you to be strengthened. But here's the deal. If you're a a follower of Jesus, you have been planted in Christ. You've been planted in the love of God. I mean, the love of God is marked by you being a follower of Jesus so that you have been rooted and grounded in love. But then he adds to it. He says, I'm praying for you that you might be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length, and depth, and height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He says, I know that you're in it. I know that you're planted in it, and I know that you have it, and if you're a follower of Jesus, you're in that, but you have not even begun to understand how massive God's love is. He says, what I'm praying for is that you would be able to kind of dive in and then you'd realize it's deeper, it's higher, it's wider than, than you have ever comprehended, that you would know more of it, even though you'll never know all of it here. I mean, that's what he said. He says, it passes knowledge. There's not anybody here this morning that's go, oh, I, I got that. I, I have that one figured out. Can we, can we go on to phase two or something beyond this? There's not any of us here that fully gets this, that sees how amazing this is, that, that understands the, the incredible nature of the love of God, but he's inviting us to see it. And if you can see what we're talking about this morning, then that's partly what you'll see. If you can grab this reality that, that we're children of God, then what you will see is how great God's love is. And, and you'll be like, wow, that's love. I mean, that's massive that's, that's incredible. That, that's really, really good. Wow. But there's more. So we get this. He's inviting us to see it. Let's see what else he tells us. It says, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. It's connected, a therefore, it's saying because of this, we think about this, though we could look at this and say, okay, well, we see God's love in this, there is a sense that he's inviting us to see, I'm not sure the right way to say it, but I'm going to say it this way, the otherworldliness of this, that there's a sense that it's not really what's represented here. He just simply says the world doesn't know this, the world doesn't know that, it doesn't recognize that, it doesn't embrace that, and in many ways, it's not seen clearly in the world in which you and I live. He says, that's not the way it is. He says, therefore, the world doesn't know us. It doesn't really know who we are. It really doesn't understand this. And it didn't know him because it did not know him. It did not know Jesus. Now, this is helpful because we do live in this world. We do live in this world. And sometimes we can almost find ourselves valued by the way the world sees things. But what he's telling us is this never something the world can comprehend. Jesus told us this gave it to us there in John 15. He says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. I mean, just reasons with this is, says, of course, you don't fit in this world. Of course, this world doesn't embrace you. Of course, you don't feel the, the weight of this. Of course, you find yourself at odds with the world that you're living in. It was at odds with Jesus. So much more is it going to be at odds with us. In fact, Jesus would go on just in a couple chapters later in his prayer that he prayed that night, and he says, I have given them your word because the world hated them. And sorry, And the world hated them because they are not of the world just as I'm not of the world. He says, I gave them this, and, 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 and because of this, they're in this space, they're not of the world. And he says, Father, I don't pry that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I mean, just this statement of reality, just this reminder that somehow when we think about this and and this recognition of what this is down here, that the world can't see this. And in many ways, it'll never be represented well on this side of eternity. That the existence that we have now doesn't define even what this looks like. Yet there's a sense that we're supposed to be able to embrace it. That we're supposed to be able to embrace what cannot be seen by the world. That you and I are invited to be able to see C.S. Lewis, when he was talking about this, tried to picture it to us this way. He says, it is a serious thing to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a person which, if you saw them now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Now, just want you to pause and think about this for a moment. So here's the thing. He says, it's a sobering reality to realize that if you have talked to another Christian today, if you could see them if you could see them and what they're going to be, if you could see them in this eternal state where they enter into what God has for them and the incredible glory, it would be, you would recognize, hey, these are prince and princesses of the king. These are children of God. I mean, these are, are, are people who are bestowed with such a space and place. The world doesn't see us that way. and and sometimes we can allow the world to become our definition of that. He says, but if you could see it, you would treat them altogether differently. Now, again, let's just be clear. That's true for believers. It's not true for unbelievers. In fact, C.S. Lewis in this, he continued his sentence and said, or you'll see such a horror and corruption, such as now if you meet at all only in a nightmare. He says, if you could see it, somebody that doesn't know Jesus right now, It's not something beautiful, it's not something glorious, it's more of a nightmare and and a terrible space. I mean, it just couldn't be more clearly different in in those spaces. And again, just saying, if that's you this day, we're inviting you away from that. That's not the reality of, of what we long for for you, but there is a sense that we're being invited to see this. So partly what he's just telling us right now is this is never represented here in this world. And there's no space that you would look and say, okay, yeah, I fully feel that in its recognition here, because what it is to really be a child of God is not fully on display or fully in space yet, because it doesn't exist in this fallen world. It doesn't exist in where we are. In fact, he goes on to say it this way. Let's just begin reading again from the top. Verse 1, it says, behold, what manner of love that the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. Again, we are this now. It's not something we're going to become. We already are this if we believed on Jesus. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now we get to look to where this reality really begins to take place, kind of the heavenly destiny of this, to to what it is to really be a child of God, to look at what this is looking like. And he just tells us we don't see it. It's not yet been revealed. Nobody has seen this. You haven't. We've never seen it. To be even more clear, we've never seen anything that's not broken by sin. Sin has so permeated our world that every person and everything that you see and know is tainted by it. Yeah, just the idea of perfection outside of Christ and, and the picture, picture of what we get in his word, you've never known this anywhere else. And because of this, he says, it hasn't even been yet revealed. We haven't even been able to comprehend what it's going to be like to be a child of God in eternity, that it's going to be so much better than we can see it that we'd almost just say it's beyond us right now. It's beyond both our experience and understanding. It's better than that. See, most of what we know right now about what's going to be ours in eternity is what's not there. I mean, that's how God meets us because it's something that we can understand. We know brokenness. And so he's able to reason with us through brokenness about what heaven's going to be like. Think about how he gives it to us in the book of Revelation. He says, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And so now we're gazing into the future. We're looking at God making all things new and to an eternity that's marked with righteousness. And so he's trying to describe it for us. He'll say it this way. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. Those things which were a part of what life is, they're gone. They're absolutely gone. And it again, it's an amazing reality. I mean, he's just saying, when we think about what this is, there's gonna be no more tears. Death, will never be there again. We'll never know death in any capacity. It'll never be a part of our experience or life in the midst of this. There's not gonna be sorrow. There's not gonna be crying. There's not gonna be pain. Wow, it's really good news, by the way, for some of you, more than others. Pain's a part of all of our lives, but for some of you, it's a daily thing. It's a constant thing. These fears are always there. And yet he's looking and saying, see, so do you want to know what heaven's like? It's got none of that. It's got none of those things. Those things, those were what sin was. That's what sin did to the world. But when you want to understand what heaven's like, it's gone. And in fact, it gets even better because he goes on in the next chapter and says, and there shall be no more curse, that the curse of sin, the brokenness of that, it is gone. That which is, has, has just tainted everything, it is gone. It's really, really good news. I mean, I just want to tell you, it's really, really good news. But if we're actually still paying attention, it's like, okay, well, you didn't tell us what it's like. You told us what it's not like. I mean, you didn't, I mean, it didn't really describe, you know, what it's like to be a child of God, what it's like to be in eternity. And part of the reason is because it's incomprehensible to us. We've never known it. I can't even begin to imagine it. I can't even begin to, he says, it's not even been revealed what it's going to be like to be there then. It's not even something we can comprehend. In some ways, all we can get our minds around is say, well, I know it's not going to be there. I know it's not going to be there. No more sorrow, no more pain, no more sin, no more brokenness. None of these things that mark our days, that is the weight of what's wrong in our lives. This is what we know. He says it's not going to be that way. Instead, he says, we're going to be like him. We're going to be changed and we're going to be transformed to be like him want to make sure you see it in the text and then we'll try to try to wrap our mind around it just starting there again in verse 2 it says beloved now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be but we know that when he is revealed when Jesus comes back we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is Lots and lots we could talk about in this. Let me just quickly say what it's not saying. I don't think I need to spend a ton of time on this because most of you are already there, but it needs to be said just to make sure that we don't lose it. When he says that we're going to be made like him, we're going to see him, it's not any sense that we're going to be lost in him. This is not the the Indian or Hindu kind of concept or nirvana that kind of loses all identity and lost in some God consciousness. It's not that. God has made us unique, and everything we know about eternity, is that continuous. he likes uh, just the, the beauty of diversity that's found in, in our personalities, and so much of that will continue in that. There is a sense that we will still be there with him. Neither is this the idea that we will become literal gods. That's the lie that began in the Garden of Eden when Satan came to tempt Eve and said, hey, you could be made like God. That's the the lie that moves its way through so many of the false uh, religions. This is the lie of Mormonism, something we talked about a couple weeks ago in the midst of it. Let's just be clear. This is not what he's saying. He's not saying that you're going to be, you know, a God all by yourself, or you're going to be in that capacity of who he is. That's not what he's communicating to us. And most of us understand that. Instead, he's going to say, hey, we're going to be drawn into this Christ-like life. That there's a sense that we will see him. Where to see Jesus, and when we do, we'll be changed. We'll be absolutely transformed. We'll be transformed morally. We'll be transformed in nature, in a Christ-like character. We'll be made that way, and again, for many of you, this is exactly what you pursue right now, and pursue it rightly. So you'll hear us as Christians sometimes say, man, I just want to be more like Jesus. And what do we mean by that? Do we think we, we want to be the, you know, God incarnate, breathing life and creating things? No, that's not what we mean. We want to be, I want to be like, I want to be, I want to be good. I want to do right. I want to love people. I want to, I want to have the character and nature of God. I want to shine. I want to be Christ-like in that sense. And the Bible calls us to that from one end of the, uh, of the cover to the other, inviting us to that. And that's exactly what he's speaking about, saying no longer will it be in measure, it will be full, that we'll take that, that character on. Again, I, I think about this because again, that's what he's seeking to do now. I like the way he gives it to us in second Corinthians, kind of speaking of some of the same reality. It says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. So if you're a follower of Jesus, he says, here's what's taking place in your life. You're being changed. God is changing you. He is transforming you. This process of sanctification, this process of transformation, and it happens today. It happens as we see Christ. He is changing us. He is making us more Christ-like. He is, he is you know, conforming us to the image and character of His Son, which is beautiful, but it's incomplete on this side of eternity. And so now what we're gazing at is to the completion of that to the place that what he's doing in part now becomes the whole, to where we are changed, to where we're transformed. I like the way it gives it to us in Philippians. It says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't belong here. This isn't really our home. We really are made for heaven. He says, we're longing for that. We're waiting for Jesus who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. He so says, we're waiting, we're waiting to see him. And when he does that, he's gonna change us. He's gonna transform us. And I'll just be honest, I, I, I look on this and go, man, I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm mind blown. Like, how is that gonna even work? I mean, how is that gonna work to where we're in heaven and we're changed? We are literally changed changed, that the wonder of what he started in us will be fully complete. It's going to be glorious to where living in this space where we walk in righteousness, not just because we have to, but we want to, where righteousness will be who we are, not just because it's right, but because sin is done and you'll be changed. This is just, again, good news because see, for some of you, you still have a hard time believing this. You still have the idea. It's like, okay, what if I get up to heaven and I blow it? Like, what if I start the whole process all over again? I seem to blow everything down here. I mean, I always, you know, stick my foot in my mouth or I say something I shouldn't say, and you can't even imagine it to be changed, to be made to where that never happens again, to where the, the, the form and the image of Christ, to who he's made us to be, but that's what we're looking forward to. And we give it to us in 1 Corinthians this way. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. It's just here where it's just so we're looking on this. We're trying to figure it out, but it's like we're staring through a fog. It's like we're looking and trying to figure out what this looks like. It's like I kind of I mean, I know there's not going to be any more sin there. And I know there's not going to be more brokenness. And I know there's not going to be any more pain. But I'm having a hard time even just imagining says, don't worry about it when we see him when we see Jesus, when we see him face to face, we're going to be changed. We're going to know that. Maybe one of my favorite passages that describes it is back in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 17, where it simply ends that Psalm. And it says, as for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I wake in your likeness. What an incredible thing. He here's what I know. Here's what I know. When I see his face, When I see Jesus face to face, that righteousness is going to be mine. And I will be satisfied, fully satisfied when I awaken his likeness. I mean, that's an incredible expectation. That's an incredible glory that he's inviting us to understand that you and I are this. And that somehow to see a little bit of what heaven's going to be like, to see that this reality of being a child of God is really fully going to be on display there, unseen in its perfectness here, that there's a sense that we're looking forward to what that's going to be like, to, to be a child of God, to be in the family of God, to fully be experienced the incredible reality Says we haven't even begun to understand it. We had, it hasn't even begun to be revealed for us, but we're still invited to see it. So you guys tracking, right? I mean, here's the intention. He's inviting you to see it. He's saying, you know, behold, you know, here's the thing. If you could see the the love of God, how great is the love that he has made you and me, his children. It's not the world doesn't get it, can't get it, can't understand it, but we'll see it. It's going to be revealed when we see Jesus. So if you see this, if you're really beholding this, certainly, again, one of the things that you're going to see very practically is the love of God. That's available to you now. To see what you will be, that is not. That's still a mystery to us. It's still waiting waiting to be revealed. But he says, if you can see this, you'll see the love of God. But it also has another incredible aspect to it. Go back and see it again. Let's just start from the top so we can kind of catch all of it. He says, behold, verse 1, what manner of love that the Father has bestowed on us that we purifies himself just as he is pure. Yeah, hear that last sentence again. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So if you're beholding, if you're seeing everything that's here, if you're getting a glimpse of what it is to be a child of God, then one of the things that you're meant to see is the purifying hope that's found in this. Let's talk about hope just for a moment. Hope is this life-giving, solid confidence. It is this place where we have an expectation that is not changeable. We need to hear that because we use the word hope in such a loose way in our English vocabulary. We use the hope as a wish. So we might say, well, you know, I sure hope it doesn't get too windy this week. And then you're like, well, yeah, that's not, that's just, you might wish that, but it's probably not going to happen, you know, kind of deal. You know, you kind of have these longings for something to happen, but you just like, well, I I, I would like it, but I'm not confident it's going to happen. That's not the Greek word hope. It's not the biblical definition of hope. Hope is something that is solid, unchangeable, something that is meant to be where we fully expect it, that we know it's going to happen, that we solidly believe it. So, thinking about it this way Romans 8 uh, God is reasoning with us he says for the earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of god and i don't have time to go back and give all of it to you but simply put sin has broken our world everything in our world is broken by sin so that creation itself is waiting for the day for the children of god to be made manifest for us to become what we really are because when we become what we really are it's going to be changed that creation itself. There'll be no more death, no more sorrow, no more brokenness in our world. There'll be no more animals that die. There'll be no more pain that's found even within the the, the, the realms around us. And he says, so, you know, here's creation. It's like, boy, I can't wait for you guys to become the children of God. I mean, for you guys really to, to, the sons of God to be made clear. He says, because creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Then we get to enter into the liberty of being children. So does creation. So does Creation. Creation gets to enjoy this incredible thing. He says, not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we are in ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Like, we know this. There's the Spirit of God as a down payment. We're longing for that day to happen. For, he says, we were saved in this hope. Now, this is obviously where I'm going because it's hope that we're wanting to think about. We were saved with this hope. But this hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So now we have this hope. Now we have this hope of like, I can't wait for what that's going to be like. I'm so excited to be what God has made us to be, to where this is going to be fully revealed, that that would be that, but this hope is meant to be something solid now. In fact, in Hebrews, it would say this hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil, which is Jesus. He's the anchor. He's the source. But this thing, he says, there's the thing, this, this hope, it secures us. Like an anchor would hold a ship. And no matter what the storm, no matter what the thing is, it's like, okay, we're safe. <laughs> like this is anchored. And you're only as strong as your anchor. And our anchor is strong. Our anchor is Christ. And so we'd say, I have a hope. It's not, well, I I sure wish everything turns out well. No, it's like, I know it's going to turn out well. I just don't know when. I don't know when he's coming back. But when he comes back, when I see him, that's going to be amazing. You need that hope. You need hope. There's a solidness of this that isn't, you know, meant to be weak and, and moving back forward. You need to be a person who believes that if you're a follower of Jesus, that is yours. This is your solid expectation. I give you that because I like the way Peter reasons it to us. He says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Boy, what a great passage. A lot of stuff there, but let me just give you the nuts nuts and bolts of it for a second. It's not the idea here that we can answer every technical question that people have with Christianity. Not that that's a bad thing. Sometimes this verse is used for what's known as apologetics, meaning able to give a logical defense for our faith. Again, not a bad thing. But that said, nobody's ever been argued into the kingdom of God. Nobody's ever been, you know, forced into it through that way. And neither is that what he's saying. He says, you need to be able to explain why do you have hope. In a world that doesn't have hope, you should be able to explain on the drop of a hat. Why do you have hope? This is the kind of thing that you should be able to be in the grocery store line and somebody looks over at the news and goes, wow, look at what's happened in our world. Man, I have no idea where this is going. You should be able to go, I do. (laughs) I have hope. I I have hope and it's not in that. It's not in politics. It's not in money. It's not in countries. It's not in people. I have a hope that's based in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for me and is coming back again and it's not shifting or changing. I have hope. I have hope. It says you should be ready. You should always be ready, so that on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday, in a world that doesn't have hope, you have something they don't have. And you should always be ready to explain that. You should always be ready to tell you, "I have hope. Do you have hope? Do you? you are you looking at the world right now? Do you? I mean, I just want to tell you, this is powerful." You should do it with meekness, kind of a humility, with a, a fear, or a reverence, not an arrogance. But we have this life-giving expectation. So if we get what it is to be a child of God, then we're embracing that. We, we're holding on to what's coming. We have an expectation of that. But what John tells us is that that hope is a presently powerful reality. It actually helps us be purified. It's a purifying hope. Notice it again. There, just verse 3. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So this hope helps us in our present battle with sin. This hope helps us in our present battle with sin. Let's just say it clearly. clear, We've talked about it a bunch so far in 1 John. We're gonna to continue to talk about it in the next few weeks as well. But you and I are in a battle with sin. I think about how Paul would give it to us there in Galatians 5. He says, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. This is one of those windows that just is really fun to be able to look at this and say, okay, this is true. If you're a follower of Jesus you actually have something that the world doesn't have in the same way. You have something that really is a little bit of that Dr. Jackal, Mr. Hyde struggle in a way that the world can't have it because you now have a new nature. You now have the spirit of God living inside of you, but you still have this old man. You still have this flesh here living among you. And he says, here's these two things. They are at odds with one another. I mean, and they're just fighting each other all day long, and it keeps you from being the man or woman that you want to be. It says, you know, they're at odds with one another, they're contrary, so you don't do the things that you wish. And this is really, really good to kind of look at this and go, yeah, that's, that's real. And again, I need to just pause and say this as clear as I can, because sometimes we can come here into church and, and actually not believe this. Sometimes we think we're the only one. Sometimes we think, well, you know, that's, pro- you know that, that's not true of them on that side of the church. You guys over here, it's true. But this side there, no, you know what I mean? You know, sometimes we sit there and we think, I don't think everybody struggles like I struggle. Because um, I, I talk to them at church and everybody looks great. Everybody looks fine. And, and sometimes we begin to believe this thing that we're the only ones. So hear me clearly. If you're a follower of Jesus, you. This is a real struggle that you are in. This this battle between the flesh and the spirit. It's taking place in your life, but it's not something that's meant to be a um, disappointment or kind of a just okay. That's just the struggle. Give in to it, kind of thing. No, he says you need to see this struggle and then overcome, because in the context he says if you walk in the spirit then you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Like if you take hold of the, the help of the Spirit, you can overcome and not be that person that you would be on your own, that your flesh wouldn't be able to kind of assert dominance. And if you would walk in this, which is good news, really helpful, stuff we've talked about in the last couple of weeks. But again, saying it clearly, it's a battle we face. So the Spirit will help us, that's really good news. But what John is telling us is this reality of you being a child of God, will help you in the struggle. This reality of you being a child of God will help you in the struggle that you have against sin. Let me try to give it to you really, really quickly and, and just thinking about it because as we're trying to process this, there is a sense of recognizing who we are. Again, hear it when he said there in, in verse two, at the beginning of it, it says now, like right now. You're a child of God. It's not yet fully been manifest what that's gonna look like, but you already are this. But if you believe this, it'll begin changing things. It's really the argument that's given in Romans 6, which is a pretty technical and and deep argument, so there's no way I'm going to unpack it in its entirety, but let's just go there very, very quickly. In Romans 6, Paul gives it to us this way. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? I mean, if grace is as good as grace is, if amazing grace, how sweet the sound works, should we just be like, well, it doesn't really matter now. Just sin. Just sin just sin, because, you know, it's just better grace. I mean, he says, that's what some people say. He says, no way, certainly not. Strongest negative statement in the Greek language. No way. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Like, that's no longer what we are. He says, or do you not know that as many of us who were baptized into Christ, we were baptized into his death, that the expression that we make through baptism is a connection to the death of Christ, so that as he died to sin, He paid the full price for our sin. We die to that. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. That the resurrection gives us freedom. It opens up to us this reality that because he rose, we could rise. We could walk in this newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, Certainly, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. That we're, going to be this, we're going to be changed. When we see Jesus, we're going to be radically changed, but that's also spent to be a reality for us now. Likewise, he says, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. Okay. How do we process this? Lots and lots of stuff, more than I can go into in its entirety. But here's the deal. You're struggling. You just do. There's a battle between the flesh and the spirit happening inside of you. But not only do we struggle, sometimes we believe a lie that is a fundamentally wrong lie. And to the extent that you believe the lie, it gives sin more power in your life. What's the lie? The lie is when you sin, that's who you really are when you sin, when you do wrong, you've now displayed who you really are. And when you do right, sometimes it just feels almost foreign to you. It's like, man, I, just was, I was doing better than who I was. Please track with me for a moment. And again, we have our flesh and our spirits. So there's no o- not owning of our sin. We talked about that back in 1 John. If we say we don't have sin, we're lying. That's <laughs> not true. We acknowledge that. But here's the thing. If you have believed on Christ, then you've been born again. We're not talking about what will happen to you, but what already happened to you. You have become a child of God. That is who you really are. When Jesus comes back and we see him face to face, it's not as if we're gonna become something that he hasn't already made us. We're gonna become fully what he already made us because you already are that. You're already a child of God. You're already today, if you are born again, it is who you are. So if you could believe it b- biblically, when you sin, that's not you any longer. It's no longer you. So Paul would kind of argue in Romans 7, I sin, but it's, it's no longer I. I mean, it's no longer what I am. There's a sense that you should be able to look at it's like, that's not who I am. Like, that is no, Jesus died. That's no longer me. That's no longer, I'm a, I, I've been rescued. I've been fixed. I've been, I mean, I'm a child of God. So when you sin it, you should be able to recognize that's not you. When you do the right thing, when you actually love somebody, and you actually care, and you do something right, it's like, man, I'm actually displaying what Jesus has made me to be. See, if I can grab your mind with this, I'm just gonna tell you, this is powerful, and because you don't believe this for some of you, you give in to sin before you ever had to do it, because you kind of like, that's just me, that's what I do, I blow everything. You know, that's just what I, that's just my, Paul says, don't do this, you should think this, you should reckon yourself, I died to that that's no longer me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to believe this. I'm going to reckon myself dead to sin. And I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus. He says, if you believe this, then don't sin any longer. Like, say no to it. It's like, that's not me any longer. I don't have to be that person. I don't have to go that direction. I can be different because of what Jesus has already done. Boy, that's bigger than I can unpack it. I wish I could somehow say that better. I wish I could fully convince you of how good this is. But maybe I can come at it this direction. I hope you've already begun to believe this. Because if you do, then you've begun to discover how good it is. But let me say it this direction. If this reality of being a child of God is not helping you today with your fight with sin, then you don't really believe it. Yeah, this is kind of a hook that I need to grab because I'm gonna tell you, for some of you, it's gonna grab you. See, let's go back and just read it. So he's telling us this way. He says, and everyone, and catch with me the everyone, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. He says, if you believe this, if you believe this, it's purifying you. It's doing something inside of you that's helping you in your fight with sin because you believe this. So here's what I'm trying to tell you. I've said a bunch of things this morning and some of you have been listening and you think you believe it. I mean, you think you do. I've told you you're a child of God and you're like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's probably true. But in your war with sin, that is a daily war, this is not actually helping you. It's not something that as you're fighting with sin, the reality of what God has already done inside you, it's not something that's helping you win those battles. And because it's not helping you, I can just tell you, you don't believe it. You don't believe it. Because if you believed it, everyone who has this hope, everyone who really gets what Jesus has done for us, finds this hope being something that purifies them, something that is helping transform them, helping them live a life that is more Christ-like now. And I'm just telling you for somebody, maybe it's not a bunch, but maybe it is, there's just some of you who, who, who right now are recognizing, okay, maybe I don't get it. I mean, because that doesn't work for me. I mean, this, I mean, it doesn't ever help me when I'm battling with my flesh and, and all of a sudden it's kind of trying to, you know, there's this battle between my flesh and my spirit. The reality that I'm a child of God and that he's made me his, and that's who I really am, it doesn't really ever enter into that place. He says, you don't believe it because everyone who has this hope everyone who has this hope purifies himself. So I'm not saying it as a condemnation. I'm saying it as an invitation. For some of you, again, I'm just telling you, you've been listening and you didn't actually realize how good this would be. I mean, some of you are like, well, yeah, heaven's going to be great. That'll be fun. Really looking forward to that. Let's go on. Let's talk about something else that's really, really helpful to our day. It is really, 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 really helpful. I mean, this would help you the rest of the day and this will help you tomorrow. This will help you as you battle, as, as, as your flesh tries to assert and kind of order you around, you'll be able to say, no, that's not who I am. I'm a child of God. That is, that is not what Jesus made me to be. That, is not, that, that was what I was. That is no longer me. And, and you'll be able to say, God, I want to be the man that you want me to be. I want to be the woman you want me to be. That you would look at it and you would pray the way Jesus taught us to pray, God, I want your kingdom to come. I'm looking forward to heaven. But I want your will to be done on earth now, as it's going to be in heaven. I'd like to be a little bit more like I'm going to be then. I want to live that out in such a way that I display Christ in such a beautiful way. I shouldn't tell you it's true. I just want to tell you it's true, and that's what he's inviting it to. Think about it. Paul would say the same thing in 2 Corinthians. He says, he says I will be a father to you And you shall be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, he says, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all the filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. If you believe these promises, if you believe you're going to be a child of God, then let's fight against sin. Let's purify ourselves. Let's cleanse ourselves because that's powerful. This is incredible. This is really, really practical and very, very helpful. Okay. Well, let's begin winding it down and just come back and say, sometimes the most beautiful things are right in front of our eyes and we fail to see them. Sometimes they're right in front of us. And I'm telling you, this is one of them. One of them that you might kind of like, I I think I believe that. And I'm like, you don't see it because you don't see it. Part of the problem is because it's an an otherworldly thing. It's a heavenly destiny in, in its greatest reality. But two things you could solidly see now, that God loves us. The love of God is bigger and better than we've ever imagined. And if we have this hope, it purifies us. That's helpful. That's really, really helpful. Christian, I'm inviting you to grab hold of the reality that you're a child of God, And let that reality transform you and help you to die. But we need to end and say this. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not. So I need to go back to what I said at the early part of the message where he says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. As many who have received Jesus, as many who would believe upon him, this would be your reality. And maybe some of what I've said this morning has only highlighted that you don't have this. Well, then he's holding it to you as many, like all of those who would believe upon Jesus, all those who would believe upon him and be saved, this would be yours. It can be. And I invite you to believe upon Jesus today. If that's you in this room, if you're in our overflow, if you're online today, I invite you to surrender to Christ and to be saved because he does it. His promise, as many as receive him, he'll give you the right to become a child of God. Wow. Well, let's end there. So you can close your Bibles and I just want to invite you to kind of grab hold of this and close with us as we take a moment to pray. And give you a moment as we do each week that in a quiet moment between you and God, you just talk to him for a second on where this lands for you. It may be your moment to surrender to Jesus. It may be your moment to give your life to Jesus. And we just plead with you that you would, that you would believe upon Jesus and you would be saved. But maybe you are a child of God. And maybe this is really so much a part of your life. You're like, Jim, tell him. It's so helpful. But maybe you're like, I don't really ever do that. It doesn't, I mean, I kind of hear these things, but it's not really a part of my present life. It can be. That you would recognize what God has done to make you his child. What you are. And everyone who has this hope in him, it purifies himself. It does this. It's powerful. I invite you to grab hold of it today. I invite you to grab hold of what he has done and what that's going to mean for us and let it be effective in your life today. So quietly, would you talk to him about that? I'll do the same and we will close in worship in just a moment. Father, I think about trying to talk about these things and sometimes I feel like a kindergartner trying to understand nuclear physics and explain it when I can honestly say it's, it's so far beyond me. But I know I'm invited to see and I long to see it better. You've invited us to see how incredible the love of God is that you've made us your children. And what that's going to mean for us in eternity when we see you, Jesus. To have that hope is solidly ours. A hope that not only gives us confidence of the, of the future, but power in our daily lives. What you said, that everybody who has this hope finds it to be so. So I'm just asking for that. That we would have this hope and it would transform us. God, work that in each person here. I do pray for those that are here this morning that don't know you. I think about just how sad, how scary their present predicament is. If I could see where they're headed in just eternal destiny, it's a horror, It's it's a terror. God, would you rescue them from so horrible of a death, but bring them into so great of a life. Bring them to you because you said that everyone who does that, you would grant, you would give them a right to become children of God. Do it again. What well, we ask for it right now is we trust this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we long that God meets you and that if you have questions, come up and ask. We'd love to talk to you about it. If you don't know Jesus, it gives us opportunity to again share with you. We'd love to be a part of that. Make your way up and, and give us that opportunity. But right now, let's all stand. Uh, we're going to close in worship. I do want to invite you, when you're done with this final song, hang out with us. Take some moments. Greet those who are around you. Meet those that you don't yet know. Find others to pray with. It's a great way to just gather together as the body. But I want to bless you right now in the name of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. give you peace guys how about grab a bible and join us this morning if you brought one join us there in first john we're going to be in chapter three this morning if you don't have a bible there are bibles around you and chairs in front of you you can grab one of those and find a page number on the screen so you can get there Uh, if you want to use an electronic device you can do that as well but we're just wanting to make sure you're invited to be with us in the word of god Sunday mornings we are working through verse John verse by verse and we're longing that in so doing that God would take this book and communicate it to us we're picking up where we left off last week it gives you the ability to go back and get other messages if you're wanting as well but certainly to be there with us this morning as you're being heading there now I do want to make sure that you and the overflow and those online that I specifically invite you to the same be with us fully Grab a Bible, make it so that as we're studying this, you study with us. And our longing this morning is that God would take his word and he would help you to get it, understanding it, but then through it, speaking to you and I personally. He does that, but we need that. So let's ask him for that. I'm going to lead you in prayer, but I hope you would pray as well, that you would ask the Holy Spirit to teach you personally this morning what he would have for you to hear. Let's ask him. God, would you, even at this very moment, give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church? Lord, I think about how precise that is, that you do so by opening up truth to us, but you said that you've given us the Spirit as a helper, one that would be with each one of us individually, in many ways our own personal tutor, to show us and open up to us what we need to understand. I love that you do that, and I just would like to ask for it right now admitting we need it, that if this morning does what it's meant to do, we will both understand the passage better, but you'll speak to us. So Lord, with just even just that ability to believe that, I think about how Samuel was instructed by Eli to come into your presence and just say, Lord, speak, your servant's listening. Well, I know that's how we're supposed to come right now. And Samuel, to say, Lord, speak, and it actually was a recognition you were speaking. You were talking. He just wasn't listening. But then he moved into a moment to say, okay, Lord, I'll listen. I'll listen now. Lord, give us that, that ability. Give us that heart to listen now to what you would say to each one of us. Help us to hear that. Work it good in our lives right now. We ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sometimes the most beautiful and amazing things are hidden in plain sight. Sometimes the things that are just like, wow, if you could really see them, sometimes they're right in front of you and you might miss them because it's so. Sometimes it's just failure to pay attention. I'm sure it's happened to you guys, right? You've been making your way near the end of some day here in New Mexico, and then all of a sudden you look westward, and you see a sunset that is just indescribable. I mean, the colors just permeating the sky and flowing, and you're like, wow, that is so beautiful. And then you just recognize, I almost missed it. Like, I, I was right here but I was paying attention somewhere else, and, and I just happened to turn and catch that which was right near. And you're, sometimes you can find yourself glad that you turned. And Sometimes you're almost wishing that somebody would you know, tell you, like, hey, somebody announced to me when to look. Well, God does that sometimes. Sometimes we need someone to say, hey, look right here and right now. That's exactly how our text begins. Notice with me at the first part of verse 1 in First John. Chapter 3, it says it this way Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Pause there. Behold, yeah, that's a command, but it's a command to look. It's a command where it's like, you need to see this. It's right in front of you, but if you're not paying attention, you're just going to go past it. You're not going to understand it. He's pleading with you, He's commanding us, hey, watch this see this behold what is it you and i need to behold well let's note behold what manner of the love the father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of god that we should be called children of god yes that is what god is inviting you to see no that's actually what he's commanding you to see this morning that he's telling us that we need to, and the problem is maybe it sounds new to you, or maybe you're so it's so present that you'll fail to see it. But you need to see it. Now, there's probably a lot of things that distract us. There's probably a lot of reasons that we might f- fail to miss what this is and miss seeing what's here. But I want to give you two reasons that I think are very common. The first one is that we might fail to see how unique this is. Not everyone is a child of God. Hear me clearly. Everyone on planet Earth is not a child of God. I need to tell you that because if you're not careful, you'll hear it and you'll think wrongly. It's said that way. You'll see memes, you'll hear people say it, and they'll say something like, you know, we're all just children of God, you know, and everybody just needs to do this. And what I need to tell you right now is no, that is not so. If you're here this morning and you're not a child of, not a Christian, excuse me, then you're not a child of God. Now, please don't hear me wrongly in that. I'm not speaking harshly to you or insultingly to you. In fact, I will tell you now, God loves you. God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son. I can confidently say that to every one of you, but if you're not a Christian, you're not a child of God because only Christians, only those who are real, true, born again, believing in Jesus Christians are actually children of God. Well, yeah, I think one of the passages that shows this best to me is in John chapter one, this amazing beginning to the gospel of John where John is explaining Jesus just coming and the life and light of men. And he says it this way in chapter 1, verse 12. He says, but as many as received him, the him is Jesus, has received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So you wrap your mind around this. And again, I want to just highlight to you, he's talking about being a child of God, talking about those who are this, which is what we're seeing in our text this morning. And he's telling us, who is that? Who's a child of God? Well, he says it's as many as receive Jesus to those who believe on his name, to believe in Jesus, to believe on his name, to be saved, which is what that is talking about. Those are the ones who get this. Only those who believe in Jesus get this. In fact, it's to these that he gave the right to be called, to become children of God. Wow. Okay, think this through for a moment because this is more authoritative and more wild and wonderful than I can put into words. Only those who believe on Jesus have the right, have the right, the God-given right to be called a child of God. It's wrong to call anybody else a child of God, and it's not true. It's not true, but it is true. We've been given this access. We've been given this privilege to be this. In fact, it's not just a title. It's a reality. Yeah, did you catch that next word? It says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Not to just have the title, not just be given some kind of badge. It's a reality. It's what we weren't. Now we are. We weren't children of God, but now believing in Jesus, we become what we weren't before. Now we're children of God. How? Because we're born, or we would say born again. That he's going to tell us in John 3 that that's what it is to believe upon Jesus, that it is that. But what he highlights here is this being born, it's not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. Lots of stuff in that, but let me give you just a couple basics. Nobody becomes a child of God by blood. Nobody is born physically, and you become a Christian because your parents are Christians. Nobody. It never works that way. Never happens that way. You don't get into the kingdom of God that way. You, it has to be personal. You don't get there by the will of the flesh. You don't get there by saying, okay, I'll do that. What do I need to do? You know, Give me the 10 things that will make me a child of God, and I'll accomplish that. You can't do it. It's not the will of man. It's not us causing it, nor maybe even saying it this way, I can't do this for you. I can't make you saved. Your spouse can't make you saved. Your parents can't make you saved. Only God can do this. It has to be of him. It has to be him that supernaturally in this believing upon Jesus causes us, changes us to become children of God. And every single person who believes on Jesus, he does that for, because that's what he said as many as received him. Like all of us, he gives the right to become. Wow. Now, that's a pretty amazing reality, but again, that we need to make sure we're catching is that's only believers. Nobody else is this. And if you failed to see this, you might not catch how amazingly beautiful this is because you kind of assumed everybody was. No, they're not. Only Christians are. But maybe sometimes we miss it just because it's almost become common language, especially in churches. and And so we use it that way. And in churches, we talk about it this way, that we 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 talk about being Christians, we talk about being children of God, uh, we talk about each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, all really good thanks. But sometimes we just miss how wild this is. we We miss how wonderful this is. We miss how how incredible it is that this is what God has done for us. Maybe it would help you to say it this way. God didn't have to make you a child of God. He, he could have saved you even and not made you a child of God. I mean, he could have. I mean, Jesus dying on the cross could have saved us and he could have brought us into eternity to be citizens of heaven, to be servants of, of eternity and never actually adopted us into his family never brought us in so tight and so close. It wasn't required for him to do that. He massively did that. And in so doing, he did more for us than had ever been done. To be a child of God is not just to be restored to what Adam and Eve lost. They were never called children of God. Only by believing in Jesus can you become a child of God. Only through this incredible space where this can happen. And I just want to tell you it's more than you've ever imagined. I can tell that because it's going to say further in the text, it hasn't. We, we, we can't even just begin to get close to this. So I can tell you this, it is bigger, it is more beautiful than you've ever imagined. We need to see that, but I also want to just communicate it is absolutely real. See, we talked about it just a moment ago, but go back with me there in John 1, where it says, to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Becoming. Reality. It's not just, again, a title. It's not just a a name for us. It's something we became. And everybody who is a child of God, you've become what you were not before. To believe upon Jesus, you become this reality in Christ. In fact, that dynamic gets even a little bit more real, if I can say it this way, when you realize how much God is working to help you grow in this. Think about it this way. Romans 8 says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Or it's another way of saying these are children of God. Same concept. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So if you're a believer, then you have the spirit of God in you. We've talked about that a couple weeks ago, that there's a sense that nobody gets saved without having the spirit of God in you. He's in you. And if he's inside of you, it's not this slavery thing. It's not this external bondage. Instead, you got the spirit of adoption whereby he's trying to help you cry out, Abba, Father. Wow, let's think about that for a moment. So Father, we can kind of get, I mean, it's still pretty amazing to be able to call God Father. But Abba adds a dimension to it that is almost hard for some of us to imagine. Abba is the the Hebrew word coming out of the Aramaic word that is probably its closest equivalent into the human language uh, would be daddy or papa. It has this tenderness to it. In fact, they still use it that way. If you ever go with us over to Israel, you'll be able to walk around, you'll hear little kids crying out to their dads, and they'll just be like, Abba! Abba, you know, daddy, like dad. It's, it's, it's a tender affection. It's this place where God says, I'm inviting you into such a relationship that isn't just this formal, you know, you're this is my heavenly. I mean, it's like, I get to call him my father, my, my Abba. Now, again, the Holy Spirit's doing this. In fact, he would say it again in Galatians this way. He says, and because you are sons, because God has now done this in you, you're children of God, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So track with me for a moment. This is real, that you as a believer, you're a child of God. You have become that, but not only have you become that, the Holy Spirit inside of you is breathing this out inside of you that he's seeking to draw you into this relationship, that inside your heart, he is crying out. He is facilitating. He is pushing and helping you get in this direction. And this is really, really good news. For some of you, it's not gonna, you, you know, maybe you've had a really good, uh, you know, kind of healthy you know, family upbringing. And so kind of the transition to recognizing God as your heavenly father is not as big of a stretch as it is for others. But some of you, I just want to speak to you very carefully and say, your life has been broken. I mean, your family history and you personally have been broken. So when you hear this, you're kind of like, well, maybe somebody else could have that. I can't. Like I'm so messed up, like my whole upbringing is so messed up, I mean to embrace God as my father, it's like it's just so far outside of my capabilities. But I want to tell you it's not in your capability, it's his. And he is actively today seeking to breathe this out inside of you, which makes this again something that isn't just formal, it isn't just a title, it's this incredible reality. That we now are this, that he now has done this, that if you are a follower of Jesus and you really have believed in him, then today you're children of God. And I just want to say, maybe you're missing it, but I want you to see it. I want you to behold what that is. I want you to be able to see it with me this morning. And if you can see it, it's going to do a number of things. Well, that's what our text tells us. So let's go back and note it. He sells it to us this way at the beginning in verse 1. He says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. So one of the first things that will happen is if you can really see what it is to be a child of God is you're going to see how incredible God's love is. His amazing overwhelming love. You'll see, he says, what manner? And the idea is how extravagant, how beyond measure God's love is. You'll see that. Now, I want you to see this, but I maybe need to come at it a different direction. I want to say this carefully, and I don't want to say this with any kind of accusation or condemnation of others, but I want to just say this. If you can see this, this isn't about our greatness. It isn't about how great we are. It's about his greatness. Maybe you're tracking with me because sometimes I hear this and I wonder. Sometimes I'll hear people say something about being a child of God, but it almost sounds arrogant. And I don't mean that to come again, just kind of it's not talking trying to speak badly about anybody here. I don't know anybody personally, so if you think I'm talking to you, not intentionally, but I see it as memes, I see it as things and people are like, you know, I'm a child of God. I'm a you know daughter of the king and I'm a I'm a I'm a you know look at me. I'm great. I'm worthy I'm and I want to tell you something. That's not what he's saying you're going to see. He says, if you see this, you're going to go, me? Do you see how much love God has? That we, like us, who were strangers and aliens, who were enemies of the cross, who were by nature children of wrath, I mean, we're not talking about our worth, We're talking about the incredible, amazing love of God, that he would take people like us and make us children of God. And I want to tell you, if you see it, you're not going to be impressed with you. It's not going to build up your self-worth. It's going to build up your appreciation of how incredible God is, or very specifically, here he says, his love. You're going to see it and go, wow, really? I mean, God would love me that much to bring us into the family? Wow. I think about that. And sometimes it's helpful to to see how different prayers in the Bible are prayed and good to kind of use them and use uh, the different prayers that are there. And one of them that I have found helpful in this specific area is found in Ephesians 3 where Paul is praying. I'll just kind of give you the whole prayer, but we'll highlight just a couple pieces of it. So he's praying there in Ephesians 3, and he says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, like all the children of God, believers, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Like I want you to sense this on the inside out. I want you to have this, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Okay, pause doesn't want you to really get this. I'm really praying for you to get this, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you're already in it. I mean, if you're really a follower of Jesus, you have been planted in the love of God. You've been rooted in the love of God. The reason that you're saved is because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and the very beginning and basic reality is that if you're a follower of Jesus, it's because God loved you, and he saved you. But that's just the beginning of comprehending God's love. He says, you're you're, you're rooted in it, you're grounded in it, but I'm praying that you might be able, he says, to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He says, you're loved, you're planted in it, but you do not understand how great his love is. You don't. I can say that with confidence because he goes on to say that it passes knowledge, that there's not anybody that's going, okay, I got that. Can we go on to something else? He says, it's bigger than you've ever imagined. It's wider. It's deeper. It's taller, wider. Wide. It's beyond your comprehension. But he just says, I would like you to know it a little bit more. I want you to be able to get a little bit more so you're, you would just be a little bit more like, he really does? Wow. I mean, look at how great the love of God is. I mean, it's bigger and it's better and it's wider. And he says, I want you to know this because this would bring you to all that God has. This would bring you to the fullness of what that is. So here's what he's telling us here in 1 John. That's what you should see. If you're gonna grab this understanding of what it is to be a child of God, then one of the things is his behold what manner of love that you'll go, wow, the love of God is is." Wow. I mean, that he would love us and make us his children. Undeserved, amazing, glorious, fantastic, beautiful love. Wow. Now as we wrap that, that's certainly true. So one of the things that would happen this morning is if you would grab this a little bit, then maybe a little bit more, you'd see that, but there's more. Let's go back and see it. So let's just pick it up from the start, verse one again. Behold, like see this what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. All right, let's add this to it. So we're children of God if we're believers, and we're supposed to see the incredible love of God in it. May it be so a little bit. May God grow us in that. But in trying to wrap our minds around this and see what this looks like, he just lets us know what I'm going to call the otherworldliness of this. It's probably not a great description, but I couldn't think of a better one. But there is a sense of just understanding that this reality of being a child of God is never going to be embraced by the world nor understood within the framework of this world on this side of eternity. It's never going to be there. He says, here's the thing. Therefore, because that's who we are, he says, the world doesn't know it. They don't recognize it. It's not going to be recognized here because it did not know him. It did not know Christ. It did not know him. And because of who he is, it draws us into the same space. Well, I think about that. And that's exactly what Jesus was explaining. The night before he went to the cross, he was explaining to the disciples. And he said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Since you need to understand this. This shouldn't be a surprise to you. You're never going to fit in here. The world is never going to embrace you for what you are. You're never going to find the value of what this is within this world or its value systems or places. He says, in fact, the world's going to hate you because it hated me, he says. In fact, Jesus goes on in John 17 in that same night to pray for us. He's praying to God. He says, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I'm not of the world. I do not pray, he says, that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Wow. Hear it from Jesus's perspective. And he just says, this is not your home. You're not going to find this here. The reality of who you are is never going to be expressed in this location or space. The, the, The world itself around you is not going to recognize it, but they fail to recognize what is true the world and the way the world sees things, and the way that sometimes because of where we are in the world, we can fail to realize what we really are, what God has really done. And so just knowing that is helpful. In fact, sometimes even just knowing this that kind of would just try to wake us up from some of our perspective is helpful to, to the way that we'd even see this. C.S. Lewis did a pretty amazing job describing this, and in one of the spaces where he did so He said, it's a serious thing to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person that you talk to may one day be a person which if you saw them now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Wow. Okay, think about this with me for a moment. So the most dullest and uninteresting Christian you talked to this morning, okay, I know it was me, but I just, I just, but I'm just saying the, the most dullest and most uninteresting Christian that you've talked to today if you could see them into eternity, you would just be like, wow, that's a child of God. I mean, that's a prince or prince. I mean, do you see who they are? Do you know what that person, I mean, you would be moved if you could but see them. You would be, do you, I mean, I didn't even know that. I mean, do you see what they are? I'm just telling you the world will never see it, and will never see it on this side of eternity, but it's still presently true. Now, before I go past this, I need to pause because if I'm not careful, I might just say something that isn't true. Again, if you're a child of God, this is true of you. If you're a believer, you are a child of God. And if we could see you now, we would be amazed. We would be amazed. We'd be amazed at what you are and what God has done. But if you're not a child of God, this is not true of you. Your your destiny is not a beautiful destiny. It's not a becoming a child of God. It's becoming a subject to hell. In fact, C.S. Lewis in the same sentence goes on to say, you're either gonna see someone that you'd almost be tempted to worship or else you will see a horror and a corruption such as is now you meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. It says you would see somebody in the horrors of what hell is and destruction and it would be as scary as the scariest nightmare you've ever had. I mean, those are the realities that really define existence here, though it's not so clearly seen now. Again, I just invite you away from that, if that's you, because that's not what we want for you. But Christian, I'm just inviting you again to understand this. If you can see this this morning, if I can help you understand that you're a child of God, it's not something that is clearly perceptible here. The world isn't going to ever embrace it. The world isn't going to see it. We're not going to see it on this side of it. But that's actually part of the point. So let me kind of move that down. And so here's the thing Christians are children of God. We'll see God's love, we'll see the otherworldliness of it. And it kind of is saying the same thing, but in a different way as he goes on. But let's just pick it up, just from beginning to start it and get in verse one so you can feel the context building towards it. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now, right now, we are children of God, and it has not been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Okay, really, really wow, really, really big. But he's inviting you and I to see the heavenly destiny of this, to see where this is. But please understand, because if I'm not saying this clearly, you're going to misunderstand. You already are. You already are. If you've believed upon Jesus, you've already become a child of God. You've already are. And that's how he begins it there in verse 2. Beloved, now, today, right here, we are children of God that is what we are, that's what we've been made, that's what we've become, today we are this, that being said, it's not been revealed what we shall be like, I mean we haven't seen it, in fact we can't even really begin to comprehend it, and therein lies part of the problem, What we're going to be, what eternity is going to be like, what it's going to be like when we are on the other side, when we are there with Jesus, it's so hard for us to comprehend. In fact, most of what we know about it, even biblically, is what's not there. Now, there's reasons that God does this. I mean, in one sense, let me put it to you this way. You have not known anything but this. Sin has so destroyed the world. That there's not anything you know that hasn't been tainted by it. I mean, Jesus is the only thing that's not tainted by sin. And, and you can find him and seeing him through scripture. But everything else that you know, everything else that you know is broken. Everything else you experience is tainted by sin. So in one sense, that's your entire experience. So when God reasons with us what heaven is going to be like, in some ways all he can tell us is what it's not going to be like. For example, he'll give it to us in Revelation when he begins unpacking it for us. He says, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, that there's this eternity, this brand new creation, this world that's going to be inhabited by righteousness, this future that's going to be ours. And he begins to try to define it for us. And he says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. What really incredible good news. What a really incredible good news. It says there's not going to be sorrow. not going to be death. Death and its, and its, and its loss and its pain and destruction. It says it will never be ours again. not going to be anything that causes us to cry. And there's not going to be anything that gives us pain. That's almost incomprehensible. I mean, here's the deal. I mean, all of you deal with pain some. Some of you deal with it a lot. Some of you, it's a daily part of your life, and you can't even imagine what it would be like to have a a pain-free day, much less a pain-free eternity, but that's what's coming. But if you'll track with me one more time, he didn't tell us what it's like. He only told us what it's not like. He says, you know, pain, sorrow, suffering, death, not going to happen any longer. Those things are gone. Those things have passed away. In fact, he'll go on in chapter 22 and says there's no more curse. The curse that brought all of this, the sin that destroyed the world, it's done. Now, this is really, really, really good news. But if you're trying to track with me for a moment, it's a little bit like, okay, so I know what it's not like. Now, tell me what it's like. I mean, tell me if I know it's not like, I kind of want to know what it's like. And he just simply says, you can't get it. You can't comprehend it. It's, it. It hasn't been revealed to us. And part of the problem is because there's no way to describe what we've never even tasted. There's no way to enter into an experience that is not ours, but he just reminds us right now hey, that's coming. It, there's this amazing thing that's coming. And part of what we know is what's not going to be there. But then he tells us a little bit about how that's going to transform and a little bit of an, a picture of where it's going to go. So pick it up again we'll just notice it there in verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, but it has not been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall see him. I'm sorry, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So he says, here's what you need to know. I mean, not only do we know what it's not going to be, but we also know what it is going to be. We're going to be like him. Now, I probably don't need to spend a lot of time on this. In fact, I'm not going to spend a bunch of time on it, but I need to make sure I say it. There's a couple things that sometimes people go wrong with these kinds of thoughts, but probably you guys are good with this, but I just need to say it. There is no sense of some losing our identity. This is not the Hindu concept of nirvana, of like, you know, you kind of lose yourself in some God consciousness and you're, you know, lost into the, the, the divine in the future. That's not it at all. God made you. He made you individually. Everything we know and perceive as we even think about heaven being described is we will still be individual. I mean, God likes that. He wanted that. He wants you to know him and you will. So there's not a losing of yourself in God, nor is there a sense that you yourself are becoming a God. That's a big lie. In fact, it's one of the first ones. It's there in the Garden of Eden where Satan tempted Adam and Eve, telling them that they could be like God. That lie has permeated our world. It flows into a lot of false teachings. It flows into cults. We talked about some of them a couple weeks ago. We talked about Mormonism and some of that that ultimately tells you that you could be a God. I just want to say no. I mean, you're not, when it says you're going to be like him, it doesn't mean that you're going to be God kind of commanding your own universes and creating your own spaces. That's not it. And I don't think most of you go there. In fact, for most of you, you'll be able to track with it even better when you think about it this way, because in many ways, what he's telling us here is what we long for. We long for this place where by seeing Jesus, knowing him, that we'll be changed that will be changed, and the change is a moral change. It's a character change. We become Christ-like. For example, for some of you, you're honestly trying to do this. I mean, honestly, if we sat down and I had a talk, and I was like, well, so, you know, how can I pray for you? What do you want? And you might say, I just want to be more like Jesus. I just want to be more Christ-like. Now, I know what you're saying. You're not saying, I want to speak things into existence. I want to create my own universes. It's like, no, you want, you're saying, I want to be more loving. I want to be more kind. I want to be good. I want to be Christ-like in my my life. I I want to emulate and shine the beauty of Christ. And that's a good, in fact, that's the biblical call for our lives. It's what we're supposed to be doing. And that's what's going to happen. On that day, when we see him, we'll be changed. But again, it's what he's doing even now in our lives. I think about it this way. In 2 Corinthians, Paul gives it to us and he says, but we all, speaking of Christians, with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So there is a sense, if you can grab this, the the ultimate kind of thing that's coming, it's already at work in your life. So that as you're seeing God, He's changing you. As you behold in the image the glory of God Partly what happens is he begins changing us from the inside out where you are becoming more like Jesus, more loving, more kind. And, and that's what he's trying to do inside of you. It's still so inefficient here. It's not a, a completed work till we see Jesus, but it's worth, again, highlighting. If this is at work inside your life, you already sense it. You, are, you, you kind of feel what we're talking about because you're like, I, I, I've seen that. I, I know he's changing me. You know, I'm not the person that I used to be. I'm not the person I ought to be. I'm not the person he's going to make me to be, but I'm not what I was. And he's doing a good work in me. And I just want to hold that and say, but the completion of that is coming. The completion of that is coming. And it's coming when we see Jesus. Philippians would say it to us this way. It says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Like We belong in heaven. That is where our real home is. And we are so excited about it. I am. We want Jesus to come back. When he comes back, he is going to transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. Wow. This is such good news. He says, when we see him, he's going to change us so that these lowly bodies, they're going to be changed. They're going to be transformed. We're going to take on that nature. We're going to walk in that character of Christ. It's going to be a full, radical, wonderful change. He's able to do that, and he will do that. You need to hear that, because see, I know I'm talking to some of you that still have a hard time believing this. For you, even as we think about heaven, and we talk about heaven at a time where, where righteousness dwells, where there's no more sin, sorrow, or suffering. Some of you are like, but when I get there, I'm going to mess it up. I mess up everything. You just got to know it. I mean, you just give it to me, and, and I, will, I will do something that will mess it up. And that's just honestly the world in which we live. It's our brokenness. And So you almost have this place of like, so how could I live in a world that's filled with righteousness and never sin again? I mean, will I still be me? I mean, maybe that's why you, maybe, he says, he's able to change you so that you'll do right because he's made you right. Sin will never happen again, and it won't be some kind of legalistic, you know, law where you're afraid to do wrong. It's like, I'm changed. I don't even want to do wrong. I don't even, I don't do any of those things because I'm transformed. He's conforming into the image of Christ. He's done this incredible thing. He's going to do this. That's what heaven's going to be. Now, 1 Corinthians, Paul would give it to us this way in that love chapter where he talks about the beauty of love. Love is you know, patient. Love is kind. Many of you guys know the chapter. He ends it and says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. He says, here we stand here. We're trying to gaze into the love of God into the amazing things, but it's like we're looking through a fog. It's like it's like I kind of am trying to figure out, no more pain, kind of see that, no more suffering, but I can't really see it. I can't really, he gr- says, I know. But when we see him, it's going to change and you'll know it. You'll know it as he knows you. It's going to be amazing. So many other passages that speak about it, but one of my favorite is in Psalm 17, where at the end of that Psalm, he just says it this way. He says, as for me, I will see your face in righteousness, and I shall be satisfied when I awaken your likeness. He says, Here's what I know. As for me, and I hope it's true for you. If you're a child of God, it is. He says, Here's what I know. I'm going to see his face. And when I see his face, I'm going to be made right, and I'm going to be satisfied. I'm going to awaken his likeness. I'm going to be transformed. It is incredible good news but it's so great. I mean, this waking up in his likeness, waking up in him, that's part of our inheritance as a child of God. That part of being drawn into this isn't just being subjects in heaven, but part of the story, part of the family, being so close, so wonderful, so amazing, so glorious, so beyond description that you are just meant to see it this morning, but let's just be honest. Part of that makes it hard for us this morning, even though we try to wrap our brains around it. So if we're paying attention to so far what John has seen, one thing is apprehendable before you right now. You should understand God loves you more than you've ever dreamed possible, and you should try to see it a little bit better. And then you try to see what's coming, and it's like, well, (laughs) the world doesn't know it, and I can't even see it yet. I just know it's coming. I know it's coming, but I can't apprehend it. I can't fully understand it, but I can believe it, and we're certainly being called to. But if we do get it, it's going to help us know His love. But there's one more thing it does. So let's go back and read it. Let's start from the beginning one more time, just so you can see the whole, because it's just helpful to see how this is flowing. Begins here with this invitation in verse 1. Behold, like see this, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone, He tells us, verse 3, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure so if you can see this if you are able to behold this picture this understanding of a child of god you'll see the love of god the other world in this, you'll see heaven but you're going to see what i'm going to call a purifying hope let's take hope just for a moment wrap our minds around that word hope is a life-giving expectation When the Bible uses the word hope, it's not talking about it as a wish. And that's part of our problem in human language. Sometimes we take words in the way we say them, and then we can almost read them into the scripture, we would read them wrongly. Because we often use the word hope in the same way that we would use the word wish. Like we might think, you know, I really hope it's not too windy this week. That's a vain hope. That's a vain. That's not going to. You can wish that all you want. That's not. That's not what's in store for us. I mean, you could wish it, but it doesn't change it. And so sometimes that's how we read the word hope. We're like, well, I really hope I get to go to heaven. You know, not really sure. Little not. You know, would really like it to happen, but I'm not confident it's going to happen. But that's not the word hope. Hope is confidence. It's a solid confidence that it's coming. It's a belief that you know it's coming. It's just a question of when. It's not a question of if, it's just a question of when. Think about it this way. In Romans, when it's talking about this reality, it gives it to us this way. It says, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. So catch with me for a moment. He's saying the same thing. He says, There's going to be a day when what it is to be a child of God is going to be revealed. When what it is to be, it's going to be unpacked. and It's going to be, you know, let loose in one sense. To be a child of God, there's going to be this revealing uh, of the sons of God. But creation itself is eagerly waiting for that because the creation itself was also, will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Wow. So quickly think this through. Sin broke our world, everything in our world. There's not anything in our world that's not tainted by sin, even creation itself. Whether that be the animal kingdom, whether that be trees that die of sickness, death has permeated our world. Sickness has permeated our world. And that's all been part, it's like all we ever know. But it's as if creation itself says, I cannot wait till the glorious liberty of the children of God. That's what he says when you guys become the children of God and really get to live that out, creation's like, I'm free too. Like, I get to enter into your freedom. I mean, that creation itself is longing for the day where there's no more pain, there's no more sorrow, there's no more suffering, which means animals aren't gonna die, which means trees aren't gonna get sick, which means there's just gonna be life and it's gonna be vibrant and it's gonna be, re- it's like creation's like, I can't wait for that day. Like, I am just, I want that day. And we're like, me too. Like, I'm I'm right there with it, but creation is almost if you could feel it. I mean, I just, I just invite you to go out and do that. Like if you are walking by some part of creation today, especially if it's like a tree that's died, or you stand there maybe up in Rio Doso and see all the fires that burned or something like that, suddenly just stand there and go, creation's going, I can't wait till this is done. Yeah, I'm broke because you're broke, but I can't wait till this is done. I can't wait till this never happens again. And it's a glorious thing to understand. Now that's ours, and it says, so not only that, You know, we also have this first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting the adoption. Like, we are so looking forward to this. We have the Spirit of God inside of us that's doing this. So he says, for we were saved in this hope. Now, this is obviously where I've been trying to build to, because hope is what we're talking about. We have hope. We have a solid, confident expectation of what's coming. He says, for we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen, it's not hope, I mean, if you see it right now, it's like, well, that's not hope. You don't actually have it yet. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So hope is longing for what we don't yet see, but we know it's coming. But we know it's coming. We're confident it's coming. We believe it's coming. And it's meant to be this. It's meant to secure us. In fact, when Hebrews talks about it, it gives us this familiar picture. It says, for this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil, even Jesus, it goes on to say, that Jesus is the anchor that holds us. But I just want you to feel this. says, We have a hope that is strong and steadfast. It's like an anchor. And again, you almost got to imagine this. You got to imagine a ship out in the middle of the seas, the oceans, and there's a storm raging. And so they put their anchor down that holds. And in one sense, the safety of the ship depends on how strong the anchor is. How strong is our anchor? Solid. I mean, like Jesus won. So we have this anchor that's like, I can't lose. This doesn't go away. This is holding me, though I don't see it yet. I have a hope that is not yet a seen hope, but it's a solid hope and it's a secure hope. We're meant to have that. We're meant to have this hope. So can I just speak this to you, just in your life just for a second and say, that should be yours. If you're a child of God, you should have hope, not a wish, not, well, I wish it all turns out well. No, you should have hope, biblical hope, which means I don't know when it's gonna happen. It might happen today, might happen in a year, but it's coming. I know it's coming. This world's going to be changed. I'm going to be changed. I'm going to see Jesus as he is. It's not a question of if. It's not a question of of wondering if that's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. I just don't know when, but it's my hope. I want you to have that biblical hope. Our world needs to see this. I think about it this way. And Peter, when he spoke about it, he says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you, for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Wow. So this is a really good verse, and sometimes people think that what's being asked of us is that we'd be able to answer every hard question that anybody asks about the Bible. They would talk about that, and kind of the- theologically, it's called apologetics. Please understand, it's not a bad thing. If you're wired that way, and God is calling you to give a defense for the faith, you should do that, but that's not what this just said. He didn't say, I want you to answer every hard theological question somebody has. He says, I want you, when they ask you, why do you have hope, you should be ready to answer that question. You should be ready to answer that question. He says, I want you to sanctify the Lord and always be ready to answer, why do you have hope? We should. Our world doesn't. Do you know that? I mean, have you ever been there in like the grocery store line and the person like right in front of you, they just begin to just, man, what a mess. Can you believe what's happening in Ukraine? Where's this world going? Where, where, where's any hope? And you should be able to say, I know. I was ready for this. I was ready for this today. I have hope. Can I tell you where my hope is found? It's not in politics. It's not in, in nations. It's not in people. It's not in me. I have a hope and it's Jesus and he died on the cross, and he rose from the grave, and I have a solid hope because he's going to fix the world. This is not the way it's always going to be. He's going to fix the world. There's going to be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering, and I get to tell you why I have hope. I just want to tell you that's a powerful reality, and that's what he said. You should always be ready to answer that question because people are wanting to know. People are longing to have hope. You have hope, and you should know that. You should feel that. That confidence should be inside of you. So he's telling us, he's reminding us of our hope by helping us understand that part of our hope is that we are children of God. And that's gonna be massive. I mean, it's gonna be more glorious. It's gonna be more wonderful as we you know, see Jesus and are transformed more into his likeness. I mean, that is who we are. He says, this is our hope. You're supposed to have that. But he tells us this hope has practical bearing into our life today. That hope itself is a purifying thing. Notice with me how it says it, so you just see it in the text, verse 3. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he, that is Jesus, is pure. Everyone who has this, it becomes a purifying influence. That is, that this hope, this hope of being a child of God, is helpful in your battle with sin. All right, let's try to quickly wrap our minds around this. It's a big deal and I'm not, there's probably no way I'm gonna do a great job explaining this in, in just a short period of time and even a long period of time, I'd probably just mess it up, but God give me help. I wanna remind you that you're in a battle with sin. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are. In fact, we saw it last time in Galatians 5 where it says the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. There's something that messes up your life that keeps you from being the person that you want to be. True for every child of God. Every single one of us is here. There's a battle inside of us. It's a battle that is unique to Christians. It really doesn't exist in the same way in the world. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a new nature. You've been made new in Christ. The Spirit of God lives inside of you. But you still have an old nature. You still have what the Bible would call the flesh. It's still you. It's not a part where you can't just blame it. But they're still both present. And he says they're at war. They're fighting each other inside you. So here's what I need you to know. You're not alone. You're not alone in this battle. It's weird, but we get here on church, and sometimes we think we're the only ones that go through this. You sit there, and you're kind of like, man, if they knew me, if they knew that inside me there's like this war-digging place, they would probably kick me out, you know? I mean, I just want you, sometimes you just think you're the only one that has this internal battle. You are not the only one. If you're a Christian, I can guarantee you have it, that kind of that really proverbial Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, it's like, well, which person am I now? trying to be a good person, and then I'm all a sudden this other thing inside of me, and they're at war. Now, we can win in this war. He tells us, he said, if you walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Grab hold of the help of the Spirit. and Say, Holy Spirit, like, I don't want to do it. I want to walk with you. He says, he'll do that in you. Good news. We talked about that some last week, and so I just remind that for those of you who are here, but what I want you to understand is not only is the Spirit helping you in that battle, but this reality, This reality that you're a child of God can help you in that battle. Now, Paul unpacks this for us in a really deep section in Romans chapter 6. I'm going to read some of it with you, but I'm just going to highlight with you right now, if this is new territory for you, it's probably going to blow your mind. Uh, But I'm just going to ask you to try to understand a little bit of it with me so you can try to understand what it is we're talking about. So very, very quickly, Romans 6, he asks the question, well, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? I mean, if grace is that amazing, if amazing grace, how sweet the sound, saves a wretch like me, if it is that good, should we just sin? Should we just keep on sinning because grace is good? And maybe just if we keep on sinning, that will displace us? Absolutely not, certainly not. Strongest Greek negative in the, in like, no way. That's not how you're supposed to live. Well, how should we who died to sin live any longer in it? Like, there's something that radically changed. Or do you not know that as many of you who are baptized into Christ where Jesus were baptized into his death, that baptism, that physical act, pictures a spiritual act of our connection to Jesus so that when he died on the cross, you and your sin died, that that paid the price for who you are and what that was in your life was atoned for. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead, By the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in the newness of life. As Jesus came up from the grave, as he rose from the grave on that Easter morning, there's a sense that if you were baptized into that, if you were born again, and that that just expression that you're there, that happened for you as well. You're a new creature in Christ. You're born again. You have this new nature. I mean, that's now who you really are. For, if we have been united, together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Like, because he died, you know, and and we're connected to that, we're going to rise again. Likewise, he says. You also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. Okay, deep theological waters Go over there more, if you have time to think about it, let's just talk about this practically. What in the world did he just say? And how is this helping us? Well, here's the thing: If you really understand who you are, if you really understand that right now you're a child of God, you're not becoming a child of God, you already have become. that right now, if you're really a Christian, you were born again. Old things passed away, all things became new, and that new person that Jesus made you, you are. Now, you still have this flesh, that's true. And, and therein lies that battle. But there's a day coming when we go to heaven, when we see Jesus and our flesh is gone, and you're gonna see Jesus and you're gonna display you know, who God made you to be, but that's not the moment of transformation. The real moment of transformation was the day that you believed, the day that you were born again. That, if I can say it this way, is the real you. The real you that Jesus made you to be is the person that you became the moment you became a Christian. Why do you need to hear this? Because here's how it works. For some of us, as we face this battle with sin, and let's just again be clear, that's all of us. You're not alone. You're fighting sin. For some of us, here's what happens. We have believed a fundamental lie, and the moment you believe it, you're already weakening your stance against sin. You begin to believe that when you sin, that's who you really are. So when you blow it, you're like, that's me. <laughs> that's what I am. I mess everything up. Like I'm the broken, like, like that's who I am. Now, please don't get me wrong. Our flesh is still us and we still note that. So we talked about it in 1 John. If any of us say, hey, we don't sin, we're lying. I mean, that's still choices we make, but there is a sense that is no longer who you are. That's what you were. Now you're a child of God. Now it's who you are. So when you do the right thing, and you actually love somebody, and you actually care about somebody, you are putting on display who Jesus has already actually made you to be. You are foretasting what he gets to You're going to shine out beautifully in heaven. Now, here again is the problem. For some of us, Satan has us so mixed up that we just think it's the other way around. We do something right, and we're like, man, that wasn't me. (laughs) Like, I don't know what that was. It's like, I actually loved somebody. Crazy. You know, it's not me. And when we do wrong, we're like, yep, that's what I am. And so in one sense, we lose the battle before we ever fight it. Instead of saying, here's the deal. I'm going to believe this. I'm going to reckon, which means I'm going to lock it into my brain. I died to that. That's no longer me. That sinful, selfish, arrogant person, that's who Jesus died to fix and he fixed me, I'm born again, so that now I need to, you know, reckon myself as that I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus, I need to say, I'm not, I'm not going to do that any longer, I'm not going to be that person anymore, because I'm actually not that person, I mean, that's no longer what Jesus made me to be, that you would be able to fight sin, and part of what helps you to fight sin is to recognize what you actually have already been made in Jesus, that you'd be able to say, I, I, I'm a child of God, like that is not how child of God acts. That's not what I am. If, I, if I'm selfish or sinful, I'm, that is not what Jesus has done. And I want to hold on to what he has made me to be. I want to believe in what he's made me to be. And here's the thing, you're going to put it on display. That's coming. Heaven's going to be there. But what he just told you is if you believe this, if you really believe that you're a child of God, it will help you in that battle. So let's read it one more time because I want to make sure that you see it and try to help just lock this. Verse 3, And everyone, please catch the everyone, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who gets this, who really gets this, finds this to be helpful in their fight with sin. So let me try to say it clearly. If this hope, if this reality that you're a child of God is not helping you in your fight with sin, you don't believe it. If this reality that you're a child of God is not helping you in your fight with sin, You don't really believe it, and I just want to say that as clear as I can, because I want to tell you this is going to hook a couple of you in, because see, I know that for some of you, you've been listening to me, and you think you believe it. I mean, I told you, hey, you're a child of God, and you're like, yep, I believe that. I am, but you don't really believe it, because it's not helping you. It's not helping you in your fight with sin, because everyone who has this hope, everyone, yeah, Everyone who really believes that Jesus has made you born again, and you're a child of God, when you have that hope, it helps purify your life. It helps change you, helps you to live that life out. So again, I'm saying this to you not as a kind of statement of condemnation. So please hear me. If you don't, if that's not where you are, I'm not trying to say bad you, you know, like you're doing terrible. I'm just saying you are missing out on something that's really, really helpful. And I'm not putting this upon you in some place of like, well, you're going to have to work a little bit harder. I'm telling you, you need to see it. You need to behold the incredible love of God that has transformed us, that has made us children of God. And we're going to be that. It's going to be on display in heaven. And if you believe this, it'll help you. It'll help you in your fight with sin. You know, it says it so many other places in scripture. Now, let me give you one more so 2 Corinthians gives it to us this way. There at the end of chapter 6, it says God is telling to us, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So he's saying the same reality, right? He says, you're going to be my kids. I'm going to be your father. You're going to be my kids. I want you to know that. That's, what, that's what's happening. That's what Jesus is doing. That's where we're going. And then the very next verse says, Therefore. Having these promises that God's going to be our father, that we're going to be his kids, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the sight of God. It says, if you really believe this, then go to war against sin. If, this, if you really get what it is to be a child of God, it empowers you and gives you strength in the fight that you are fighting because this is real. This is who we are. This is an incredible, glorious, real reality. And again, I just want to tell you, I really believe that for somebody, I've just hooked you and you're kind of like, okay, I think I have to go back to the beginning. Because I kind of was listening and I kind of thought, well, yeah, that's nice. We're children of God. Heaven's coming. That's great. I believe that. But you get here and you're like, well, it's not helping me. It's not helping me on Monday. It's not helping me on Tuesday when I'm fighting against my flesh. Well, then you don't believe it. And you need to. And you need to see it. So you need to come back and say, God, I need to see what you've done. I need to see the love of God that takes someone like me and makes me a child of God. I need to see what that means. I need to understand that a little bit more because if I understand it, I'm going to be purified. It's going to help me in this battle, which is incredibly good news and more that we'll talk about in weeks to come in 1 John, but certainly is giving it to us here. So kind of wrap your mind around this for a moment. I mean, we've seen a bunch of things this morning. I recognize that. And, and there's deep theological waters, I recognize that. But hear me again, Christians, you're a child of God, and he's inviting you to see God's love, to see that this is not what we have in this world, that we have a heavenly destiny that's amazing, but to see the hope that would change your life today, that would be incredibly purifying, and maybe these are things that you already see. But sometimes the most beautiful things are hidden in plain sight. Sometimes things that if you go, "Do do, do you see this? Do you really see this? Are you missing it? Is it like a sunset that's right behind you and you're not paying attention to? Then you need to pay attention to this because this changes you. This is really, really, really good news. Well, one last thing and we'll close there. See, I've spoken to Christians and I've talked about it all the way through it, that this is who we are. But one of the things we've definitely said is if you're not a child of God, this is not yours. But I hold it out to you again as hope because God says, as many as receive him. To them, he gave the right to become children, to, children of God, to those who believe on his name. He says, you wanna believe? Then this can be yours. This is what I do. I take people who are broken, lost, and I save them and I make them my kids, God says. This is what I do. And, and this is the offer that's coming. This is the John three sixteen that God so loved the world that gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes, you won't perish. You'll have this, you'll have this everlasting life. And if you're in that space today and you don't know Jesus, then today we're inviting you to it. We're inviting you to be radically, wonderfully, and gloriously changed now and for all eternity. May God draw you to that this morning. Well, we'll end there. So you can close your Bibles if you haven't done so already. And we want to take just a moment and pray for this. And I don't know where it's landed. Maybe for you it's right what we just said. Maybe you're not a child of God and you need to give your life to Jesus right here and now. We're going to take a quiet moment and pray. It's a good moment for you to pray. It's a good moment in this quiet space just to say, okay, God, if that's what can happen for somebody like me, if I can believe and be saved, then believe. Confess Jesus. Ask him to save you even now. We'd love to talk to you more about that later. You can come up and talk to us, but it's a good moment for you to ask that. But many of you are already children of God, and maybe you've already seen this. Maybe you would be able to say, boy, these are such amazing things. I love thinking through these things. They're so helpful." but maybe you've just missed it. Maybe you've just missed it. I want to invite you to see it, just to begin seeing it, that you who are rooted and grounded in the love of God, you might be able to comprehend just a little bit more all that this is. So quietly, would you take a moment, talk to him in prayer? I'll do the same thing, just talking to him about what he's talked to us about, and we'll close in worship in just a moment. God, I just want to confess to you that it's true. Some of the most beautiful things are things that we might even overlook. Hidden in plain sight, as it were. I think about trying to describe the beauty of what it is to be a child of God this morning. In some ways, Lord, I admit to you, I feel like a four-year-old trying to describe nuclear power and explain it. It's just beyond me. It's beyond my ability to comprehend. It's beyond my ability to communicate so good, so good. Lord, I do pray that you'd help us to see it. You'd help us to be able to comprehend with all the saints more of the incredible love of God, more of the incredible work that's ours in Christ, more of what you have caused us to become, and more let it be both hope to us, but salvation, purifying influence, even now. For me, and for each of us here, we ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope that in one sense draws you to see the incredible love of God, to see what it is to be a child of God. If you need to talk to somebody, if you need to give your life to Jesus, or you have questions, hey, we're here. Make your way up after the service. We'll have several people up front. We would love to talk to you about that. Also with that, let me just say this. We're going to close in song, but our hope is not that you would immediately rush out. Part of gathering together as the body of Christ is to gather. And so what that means is we're just longing when we're done in a moment that maybe you would just take some time to meet somebody. Try to find somebody you haven't met before, learn somebody's name. Maybe even do a little bit more. Just encourage them. Take a moment to ask them how you can pray for them and maybe even do crazy things like pray right now. Just pray for each other, encourage one another, bless one another in a great way. It is part of what it is to gather and we're hoping that takes place now. Well, with that invitation, why don't you guys stand with us? We're gonna close in worship, making God our focus. And I just wanna bless you in his name. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.